welcome to Theory Talk, a theoretical jam session. I am Joseph Weissman, once again in conversation with Taylor Adkins. Today's episode was recorded January 25th of 2017. In the first part, the question of the origin of the state. In the second, metallurgy and metaphysics. Please enjoy. state the antinomy we have to think both sides both of the state is eternal and that it that it was born one day <laughs> and some you know some fair fair spring morning right so we have to think the we have to think in terms of the state being eternal and it having an origin in history we have to think both of these at the same time in order to honor this antinomy and in a certain sense it's a it's a it's a tightrope it's this it's this um sort of self-twisted tightrope it's almost like a like a mobius strip in that sense um but you you brought up this and i'm not sure the the quote but you brought up this question of the mis- the mystical power of the state was the the mysterious right it was the mysterious or, or just like the, the the mystery of the f- origin, the of mystery the of the origin of the state, and that's that's at the that's at the root of the aporia, this undecidability right. of, of of its origin. So, and it made me think about Walter Benjamin, who uh, who has an essay on the mystical foundations of authority, right? Something right. like that. No, right. No, no, it's, so, um, there's something about authority in the sense that he brings it up, right? That it that its its ground is a sort of abyss, a groundlessness, and that's part of the mystical aspect of it because it, it grounds itself just as the state sort of seems to produce of itself its own institutions, its own apparatuses, right? Um, as though it, 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 it's self-generating. Right. No, it's, I think it's that that's like the... The state seems to bootstrap itself from from nothing and come from nowhere. I mean, it, I, I, I feel like the thing I remember from A Thousand Plateaus talking about is that, you know, the talking about the war machine that is so surprising and it comes from outside and... and yes. You know, there may, be, there may be some kind of lineal relation between the one who, you know, left and came back with a war machine because how would you... How would you really know the value of the place to conquer unless you had lived there and knew someone who lived there and all that stuff, right? Like, you know, there's something about... Even, even though the, the state uses war machines to occupy and, I mean, first to annex, right? <laughs> to, to, to declare that the magical lines of my kingdom extend to these places and then to, to come in with war machines and use that to, to enforce an ocu- occupation... Right, an imposition of these forms of this state, right? Which are a, stra- a, stratif- a stratified space, right? A striated space. Sorry. No, right. Because um, it is a que- it is a different question of static occupation versus a sort of uh, right. It's there was what chess and not checkers, but uh, go go right. right. 
Um, <clears throat> and I was also thinking that you brought it up earlier about the apparatus of capture, right? That 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 the since the war machine is 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 outside, comes from the outside, is external. The sovereignty has to annex its own war machines and capture its own war machines, right? And and sort of rig them up to the state. And I was also thinking about, um, I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago about the story of Gilgamesh, right? And yeah. Gilgamesh is the conqueror who comes from outside, and then produce, and then in sort of taking up the the role of sovereignty produces this um it's what it's what they call they it's exogamous incest right he he sleeps with everyone's wives to to reproduce his own lineage in the whole city and so like reproductively genetically transforms or tries to transform the whole of the city and is to his to to himself just to repopulate the city with Little Gilgameshes, um, and this is where the story begins: is that there's a there's a, there's a resistance to this. This is a backlash that the who could have known the well the, the but it's interesting his the males of the society that he's taken over, you know, they complain to the gods, right? And it's this complaint <clears throat> that sends Gilgamesh on his his journey of you know the self self discovering journey and. And then it takes on all kinds of interesting anthropological <laughs> elements. Um, Maybe I shouldn't cuck my people all the day. Well, yeah. Um, in any case, I brought that up because, I mean, what? Um, there is a sense in which he fulfills all the X's in 4X, right? Explore, exterminate, <laughs> exploit, expand. That's all by exploiting the people and... And he's not exterminating the individuals, but he's exterminating their their principle of individuation by overcoding them literally with his genetic code. Further, future generations will be will be his his blood, right? And so, and it's it's interesting there that we have this difference between alliance, blood, and alliance, um, or affiliation and an alliance, right? Um, he's trying to overcode all the alliances with his with his filiation, effectively like destroying the diversity of the town. And you you were saying something about war games, and I mean it's it's interesting to me that that a lot of strategy wargaming sort of takes as its sort of like backdrop in context, like. The and I mean maybe it's it's obvious or something just by the structure of it, but you know it takes on like the arc either the arc of human history like in civilization or just like the development of sort of a people right like I guess you know there's things like Crusader Kings that are about. Um, sort of Europe and the medieval ages and that's, right. that's also a big kind of concept backdrop but it's just interesting to me the way civilization kind of takes it as you know sort of human history at the anthropological and ethnological kind of level and sort of like thinking about 
the foundation of the state. I mean, like there is a, yeah, there, there, so I guess here would be the question, right? Like there is at least a simple narrative about the, the origin of the state and it's this, this anomaly, right? Cause I was like, okay, so that's like the basic, the basic question, right? Like is where does, where does the state come from? What's its origin, right? Um, and so, I mean, I mean, I feel like there's this, this simple version of the story where it's like, okay, wandering people decide to settle down, right? And just by staying in one place for long enough, you, you begin to recognize the need for sort of more ordered public services that sort of slowly calcify and harden in, into structures, you know, and then sort of the nature of, of those structures is to, to grow and expand. And once the germ of it has been formed, you know, societies readily crystallize around it. Maybe, maybe that's, you know, in fact, a fairly complicated story. But I, I, I guess maybe, maybe you could help motivate this question of the mystery, right? And I guess that's where I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, maybe in terms of the anthropological context, because I feel like you have some affinity or, or a certain sensitivity to it. Um, yeah, like why why sh- why should we care about the origin of the state? What's what's mysterious about it? Why why well, is it an object for anthropology? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To get to the to get to the mystery, um, there's something mysterious that I always I always found interesting about. You know, the struggle between Cain and Abel, and we can think, you know. Um, Cain as the harvester of wheat versus Abel as the as the the herder of you know animals. There's this the agricultural mode that divides up space in order to occupy it, kills off or at least um, we could say shows a, a transition, f- you know, from the nomadic hunter gatherer. Um, mode of life that follows the lines of of the animals that it that it lives off of and in symbiotic or not even symbiotic but in a sort of collective parasitic relationship with um but that part is interesting about societies in general but where what what Cain Cain is interesting because his story doesn't end there God doesn't strike him down right. he does give him this curse but it's the founding curse of uh collective belonging which is that any anyone who kills him will have a punishment that's seven <clears throat> times worse right right and so inscribed within Cain and literally on his body marked on his body is this uh, institution against murder right the societies don't um, don't don't condone either murder or this this movement of um, the cycle of retribution is what it's really called and like Greek tragedy is you know you kill right. my brother I'm gonna kill you or your family member right this that there is a there is a exponentiating in, in murder that needs to be that's like rooted like has its roots in this institution against it in any case though what's interesting is Cain is the one who goes off. And he founds a city, but he goes off, and we were told that Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve are the four human beings on the planet, at least as far as we know, up until the point where Cain is sent off and finds wandering peoples. Right. And it's from from them that he takes a wife and starts the first city that we know of. 
So there's an interesting question that there were always already these other peoples, and therefore, even though we're given this origin of the city, the or of the state, the state would have, in some sense, already existed through Eden. But is Eden a state? And so there's this weird, dark area, this dark zone, and questions of um, belonging to cities, and then. The whole genesis of, of, of cities, of states, gets reshuffled when we have the flood. We have a kind of reset button, and we end up with three lines, three families of... Well, sorry, not three, I guess four, because you have Noah, his wife, and then his three sons and their wives. And we get this recapitulation of the beginning of states because from Noah right Noah um, Noah gets drunk right from the wine that he's grown after the flood and um, one of his sons comes in and sees him naked right and he's the one he's the son that gets cursed that his lineage is going to serve his brother's lineages and so now we have this interesting myth about these three tribes that generate you know, through them, you get down to uh, Jacob and the tribes of the Israelite tribes, down through David, etc. But, <clears throat> you know, here we have even the, not just the notion of sovereignty, but also included in this revised notion of states, this notion of um, sovereignty in a different sense, because now it's not sovereignty in the abstract sense of of, of the sort of form of the state, but now there's also a, a power power relations between these different nations, these different states, and why, you know, there is, this is the root of exploitation, this is the root of, as Rousseau might say, this is the root of inequality, right? Um, is this beginning of, well, for I mean, obviously for... It's the, it's the root of inequality because cities mean... Trade, which means specialization, or something like that. Like, or is this like? A but it's it's. Key, I mean, Keynesian kind of economic anthropology. I, I guess. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, this is an abstract metaphor and myth in the Old Testament for the development of what Rousseau calls inequality. Because for Rousseau, inequality actually starts. We don't start with any unequal relations. It, that inequality starts with self consciousness. Right. Inequality starts when we really start to have a trans individual and inter individual relation. Trans individual relation that goes beyond simple inter individual um, interactions. And for Rousseau, it, it starts around the campfire or around the fountain, this mythical you know, prehistorical fountain where everyone's singing and dancing. And then there's like this, there's like this little swerve, this little Kleinemann, if you will, where um, each individual begins to start to look and judge how well people are singing or dancing or doing these other activities. And it's from there that they start to form value judgments. And it's those value judgments that start to lead to this. It's the first for, for Rousseau, this first product of inequality and, and hierarchization and therefore power relations. Um, and there, there's something, there's, there's interesting, there's, there's a, there seems to be a truth in it, perhaps in what he um, aggrandizes and perhaps covers over, which would be 
that differentiation in society would pre-exist moments of self-consciousness, right? That, that societies don't require the height of the psychical self-conscious realm uh, in this beatified sense of everyone sort of enjoying each other's company in this proto-socialistic paradise, right? That, that, that he starts with paradise and then moves to disruption, whereas um, there are inequalities in all sorts of animal kingdoms and societies just based on um, differentiation of functions of carrying out certain labors and performances. I mean, just think about even a society like, um, like, like an ant colony, or beehives. Where, where does an ant colony come from? It only comes from outside. You know, it only comes from. But there's an exposition force from another ant colony. The chicken and the egg thing doesn't actually answer the question of like where. And I mean, at some point you had to you had to like how, you know under what conditions can a hive mind like an ant colony evolve? But do you want, do you want to take a break? Real quick? Yeah. Okay. Discussion of the of the state, right? We have um, one of the things we have is this notion that uh, obviously we get into uh, further in, in history when we start using metals, right? We start using copper and iron and the technological advantages for civilizations to, or not just copper but bronze, really. The movement from copper to bronze um, is this moment where now we can move from stone tools and um, and stone weapons to metal weapons, which allows for a kind of ability of transmogrification, of transmutation. Um, this is really where alchemy starts to go off on its own in another realm, but the phrase I was thinking of was uh, swords to plowshares, right? So this is possible with metallurgy. This is possible f- for the tr- translatable medium of metal that can be reforged and recast and reused and recycled um, in a in a palpable sense. And and in in that sense, it also allows for this. It it, it reveals the kind of tenuous relation between the tool and the weapon and their. Uh, ability to sometimes coincide. Now, in the, the phrase swords and plowshares is so kind of crucial because a sword doesn't make a good tool for much of anything, right? It doesn't, it's not a good axe. Um, if, if, you wanna, if, if you want to keep it, in the sense in which the sword is much more of a weapon than an ability to transform into a weapon or a tool. It doesn't make for a very good tool. It's not good at digging. It's not good at chopping wood. Um, it's really good for killing. Whereas something like um, something like an axe, at least when we take when we think about it on its, you know, even a hatchet can be fatal. Even a hatchet can be used um, fatally, and it can even be used as a tool to chop wood. Um, and it's much more. 
it's much more able to be refashioned and reforged in the sense in which it can be sharpened. Whereas a sword, easily, you you easily get whole nicks and and notches in the sword that actually renders it much less viable as a as a weapon. Um, and and so this transitional space where there are these these kind of easy trans translations between tools and weapons um, is an interesting kind of counter statement to the swords to plowshares, right? Because swords to plowshares make sense precisely because they are completely like opposed on the spectrum of tool and weapon. Whereas there is a much more, you know, there's almost a Venn diagram of tools and weapons where some are um, able to, to cross that and and but this is really when we 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 only consider technical objects because um i mean we know for duelists and guattari there's always this continuum i just i just mean that swords seem to stand out as 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 being poor tools um right they they talk about the the use of a brick right the brick can be a tool or a weapon right um same thing you can say just a rock um and then down to one's own, um, our own bodies, right, can, can, can function on the level of tools and weapons, depending on the, the sort of dimensions we're, we're working with. The dimensions of the manipulable, we could say, the order of magnitude of the manipulable, the hands, is, um, is, is precisely this uh, dynamicity between the, the tool and the, and the weapon. But... Um, the other, the other weapon that can also be used as a tool is bow, and it's a question if we're hunting for our food, is it, is it a weapon against the prey, or does it, is it a tool, or really is there an indis- indistinguishability, right? We are, we are using the arrow and the bow in its capacity to kill as a weapon, and yet it functions as a tool for providing, you know, um, providing food, meat, flesh, I, I mean, I, I guess one one thing I think of in terms of differentiating them is is the sort of the the regime of speeds that sort of each implement is is caught up in, and that I, I mean, it, at one level, right, like the movement of a of a saw or an axe, right, is going to be regular in the same way repeated hacks from a sword, you know, especially when combined with a sort of military formalization are, are going to be very regularized. But the, the sword gets caught up in a different sort of chaos, right, like an, an, an open, in, intensive field of speeds and forces, you know, that, that it's you know, following a bunch of moving singularities instead of attending to the a single flow, the grain of a wood or something. Yes. Right? It's, it's got a... It's caught up in an assemblage and it, and it, that adapts and, totally. and becomes, like, for example, a sword versus forms of armor, right? Um, there's something interesting when we get to these more technical metal armor, scale mail, chain mail, plate mail... Where the sword has this killing function precisely because it can pierce, while these armors are much more um, able to to stave off, um, you know, either the force of the pierce of the arrow or cutting or bludgeoning 
you know, depending on the armor, right, that you have different um, capacities to sort of fend off certain forms of of of, uh, of damage. And I, I wonder even if there would, we could talk about speeds and intensities relative to, you know, the physical forces of, of, a, of a blunt object versus the forces of a cutting object versus the forces of a piercing object, right? There's, there's something interesting where we need a physicist for, for this, right? To like, uh, to diagram sort of pounds per square inch and other things. Well, I, I, I mean, I guess... I, I, I guess one of the things I was interested in what you were saying was about transmutation and the sort of the way, you know, metal objects are, are sort of caught up in this sort of continuity because they're malleable and able to be re- reformed and reshaped and... Yes. Um, and... and, and Repurposed, I guess, was the the sort of the other thing you were talking about with source to plowshares. But mm-hmm. I mean, it struck me as like there's a revaluation possible with metal, like not just in an economic sense, but like of 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 norms, right? If we think about sort of like the the communal ethical shift embodied in the source to plowshares idea, that there's kind of like an that you know, insofar as as metal can be, you know distended, you know, disconnected, reassembled, right? Like yes. it's it's a it's a it's a substance that that sort of permits this reconfiguration of any piece of it. It's it's um it's gnomic, right? It's like a game in which any of the rules can change, right? And I don't know, I would I would at least want to make a link between society's ability to reevaluate their norms and you know, to, to I guess to what extent the Smith is caught up in this, right? Because I mean, obviously, def- defensive adornments are, are going to evolve as a as a need of army. You know, je- you know the armorer, you know, as a trade, right, is gonna is gonna come out of these itinerant Smiths' relations with generals, right? Like who sort of see a a kind of military economic imperative to to kind of provide a kind of base base level of defense, right? Um, and and sort of protect protection against the the projectiles and sort of incoming blows of a melee, yeah, of melee of melee forces, right? And yeah, I mean, I I guess just like the the sort of the the intensive movement of war, maybe another kind of aspect of this, right? That, like, these movements aren't just kind of constrained, you know? Like, it's, it's it, the battle's like an event that kind of hovers over the battle, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the war's kind of a, a separate singularity from any of its particular battles, right? And the, the sort of, I mean, this when the state appropriates a war machine, right, it ends up tying all the trades into it, right? Make it, you know, sort of, even if they're not, you know, like like the Smith in this ambiguous relation with the war machine. You know, there the state compels a kind of complicity, right? Because their surplus value is, you know, even if just through tax revenue, right, is now being allocated to the service of a of a war machine. Um, and so, it I, I don't know. It kind of it kind of ties ties you into it. Um, and it, and it, and I think it. 
I don't know. I, I, I'd want to ask this question about like about values and tools or, yeah. some, or something, right? Yeah. Like about the way in which a, a, a again, I think we were talking about this with relation to the Tao at one point about how like the weapon can be is necessary, right, for for defense and for protecting people, right. Um, but if it's if it's made of value of its own, it's it it's can be harmful, yes. right? That the that the the warrior caste that comes along with the sword, right, is is basically a, a resident kind of barbarian army. Yeah. Right? That's that's ready to overtake the state, right? This is kind of the veiled warning against certain kinds of military ol- oligarchy and in, in the Tao, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it advocates a kind of subjugation of the war machine strictly to uh, sort of civic, um, self-enclosed, you know, systems, um, or at least not threatening their openness, if you want to say it a different way. Um, yeah, and, and and I was I was thinking when you bring up values, I'm I'm thinking of. Um, this chemical structure of metals, right? And in the sense in which this is what our molecules are formed between the atoms of the specific metal and the relation among ma- uh, these, these masses of atoms and molecules and their, um, I mean, and their, their, their capacity of, I mean, you just think on all the different levels, like they're, the, their, um, the structure of their subatomic, you know, um, particles of their neutrons and their, and their protons and their, and their ions, their electrons, like this is what allows for metals to, to be metals, right? It's, it's, it's really on a microphysical level that we start to deal with these macrophysical, um, Consequences that we call qualities, right? Um, the they're right. all an ancient engineer, and for that matter, yeah. even a modern engineer, of course, know, like maybe knows in principle that these physical, you know, ordinary language properties of objects mm. rely on some kind of microphysical instantiation. But for the most part, you can do your work at the ordinary language level and so on, right? But well, specifically this this interesting facet of metals. Uh, and their bonds, right? Their bonds are, are such that it allows for the it allows for conductance of energy and heat, and it allows for them to uh, take on these transformations that temperature and pressure and all these other things allow. Whereas other um, elements are much more fragile in their combinations and in their relations, right? The the high melting threshold of of metals generally just shows their um their capacity for as you said being renewed being recycled being transmuted um precisely where other molecules or or elements would not be able to um and i'll go back to that word elasticity right they would not be able to take on these plastic and elastic relations without sort of diminishing the bonds that make them the substance that they are, right? And so there's there's something about this resistance to D 
decomposition, right? This this malleability. I'm I'm skirting around that word, but I'm sort of digging it, digging through it, right? This um, that allows for it to take on these functions where it can perform. And I think the word, the, the really the word in physics, right, is work, right? You're talking about values of a tool, and is this surplus value of work accomplished versus energy expended, right? Um, there are there are these notions of of time input, energy input, you know, and I mean energy, like literally the we're talking about in the most, at least in most primitive tools, is the ability to form, you know, perform work as a as an efficient uh, and expedient instrument. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're talking about instruments that, and this gets back to the the question of the the human body and this question of these technical machines that that not only coincide with the, and they, and they coincide with the social machines of organization, but they also coincide with the individual's capacity to uh, perform, you know, to get the value, value of tools, it gets back to the question of the commodity form and labor value, right? The, you know, labor power is exponentially increased by our um, sort of machinic extensions. Um, And... You know, it, it 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 redounds in the subject in this feeling of um, power in another sense of of sort of the self conscious reflection of manipulating, you know, n- the nature around us. Um, obviously, we perhaps in our belated state we take advantage of that, and we 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 might easily take it for granted that you know. For example, the cell phone, what we can do with it, if we even want to call that a tool or work, which it is. But here on the more primitive level, obviously, we're thinking directly in terms of um, modulating, modifying, you know, matter. Um, but it's, it's funny because I was also thinking it's information. Yes, right? it is. Which is, you know, kind of a... This thing about metal you're getting at, right? We can re- reshape it easily, but it also keeps that form for a long time, right? It's sort of both at once, right? Like able to take on a large amount of information and specialization and y- uniqueification, right? Yes. Like making sort of unique but long And it's durable, well, exactly. Exactly, right? Yeah. It can be plastic, but it's durable. And it's interesting of the, the quantum difference between the two being this huge, this huge leap in... Um, at least, you know, usually we think about it in terms of temperature, right? Um, this interesting... But at, at a very low temperature, um, metals become... I mean, extremely low, right? Towards absolute zero, metals become extremely brittle. Right. And this this is something interesting. So, right there, there, the thresholds between brittle, which most, you know, most non-metal uh, elements we would use in uh, making weapons, we would... We, we would have to find, for example, um, naturally individuated objects like bone, right? Um, I mean, there's a sense in which the metals or trace metals they would have in them would, would be pretty minuscule, and yet bone... And then you'd go to other things like stones. Depending on the stones, the, the existence of most of its silicate 
right? But that's and that's interesting. Rock is 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 a silicate, and we think of it. What's what's the word we have for it? It's, it's not semi metal. Is that just what the word is? Is that what they call? Um, silicon lands in the sim the semi. I know they call it. A, I know it's semiconductor, but is it? Is that the word that chemists use to talk about? I, you may, know? Maybe. I don't, I, I don't know. I first thought you were going to give like an igneous versus whatever the two other kind of rocks. Well, I just meant that the, the, Metamorphic the silicon has this interesting function where, you know, it's not on the organic side with like carbon and, and you know, or it's not an alkaline metal, but, sure. it, but it's it's kind of in between. This, there's a small swath of the, the, the periodic table where you have a bunch of metals in the middle Right, um, and you've got some alkaline metals on the on the side, um, but but silicon and some of a few others. Really, there's not there's not many. There's maybe half a dozen. I'm, I'm not sure. It's been a while, but I, I think that they have this. They have metallic aspects, but they're not. You know, they're not metal. In true the, metals. They're not true metals. Right. Not in the not There's in the not in the sense like in which we're talking about this extreme. Um, threshold of like malleability um but even metals have some some interesting differences i mean obviously gold is is a soft metal right um versus titanium or something uh but gold silver and copper are are slightly different because they are they are they are these obviously metals but they they don't make good they don't make good weapons right right um unless with silver you're hunting you know, werewolves or something like, but again, that's an interesting fact. It's interesting that there's a whole kind of genre of, you know, fantasy literature and, and myths about silver, you know, silver bullets or silver, just silver weapons. And in this idea that they, that precisely because silver is this noble metal, it's not, it doesn't make a good weapon. And yet it's, um, it, it it doesn't make a good weapon against physical forms, but against against supernatural forms, it has this role, this uh, this function of sort of. It's interesting. You're making me think that silver and gold they have this value because you know because they are metals, they can be reshaped, but also beyond that, they're not much use as tools or weapons. So they have yeah. to be this this third thing, you know, something like jewelry, the, the jewelry. Or, adorn, or adornments that that. I, I guess one thing I was thinking about is that, like, you know, if so, if weapons are like a sub, you know, or like a category of tools, right? Like tools, the super category, right? And then, I, I mean, it does seem like there's also technological things, and I mean, I guess this is sort of just like social technology, but it's like that uses material, right? I mean, I guess you could talk about clothing as a technology, clothing. There's certainly technology involved in the fashioning of clothes, mm -hmm. and you can even think of the wearing of clothes as a as a technology, yes. right? As a kind of social technology, as about like this information about you know clothes are good that gets shared around in a society, and everyone is now wearing clothes. But it also makes possible the the movement from where we think you know humans first really exploded which is out of not i mean africa obviously but but really out of the what's it called the fertile crescent no um or that's, thinking that's further, civilization i guess yeah not, i'm thinking not, further back i mean evolution like, I we trace it back to africa but what i mean by that is we trace it back to the tropical zones sure we trace it back to the um 
not the prime meridian, but what's the what's zero latitude or whatever? Um, the equator. The equator. Right. That's. I mean, don't laugh. We. I mean, that that's really where the, we we see explode archaeologists and anthropologists see explode the 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 ancestors, and obviously it is important theoretically that that we start from Africa, but but what I mean is close allows us to modulate our um, relationship with the environment so that we as a species uh, in, in collectives can explore and move out beyond this um, this warm zone, right? We can move right. to the edges of the earth and, and, and these layers of clothing actually as a technology allow us to withstand temperatures that we yeah. would not that that is not a part of our natural environment i mean i, I guess i'm tempted to mention the other thing about like that cl- clothing is it like taking your body as an object and transmuting it in some way using art or artifice sort of i mean it, it, again this sort of like way of you know, this dream of being able to reconfigure anything or everything. And I don't know, I think about it that way, that maybe there's... It's a, it, there's almost an attempt to impose a revaluation. This is sort of the logic of adornment or jewelry, right? Like, to... Like, to just to distract the eye with, a, with, with something, like, bright or brightly colored or distinctively, you know, like, ornate, engraved, something like this, right? Um... Possibly made of a precious metal to to like to underscore right like the metals stones um, even like shells sure and um, and with that perhaps pearls but you know that's part of it right that and and we also think of ancient jewelry and maybe wrongly or rightly I don't know I'd have to consult an archaeologist uh, bone sure right like that perhaps before metal bones would be the first easily modifiable um, matter that would allow it to be shaped for adornment. And uh, beyond beyond simple clothing, right? Sure. Um, And in that sense, and there's something interesting, and because we're talking about self-consciousness and the explosion of self-consciousness and clothing, fashion, quote-unquote, adornment, being a part of this, but there's also something interesting where um, archaeologists talk about jewelry and the and the function of one of the first function of jewelry, especially I think if we start to get into questions of economy, of economics, and and metal is great for showing this, but it has a prehistory. Is jewelry allows for the easy transportation of material wealth, right? Um, in much counterdistinction to we think, you know, of you know an ingot of gold or something like this, you know, it's much more easily trans. You know, necklaces, earrings, all these other things are much more easily um, transmissible, and they're already in a form that allows for a barter and trade. Whereas a, a block of metal doesn't necessarily have the same function. Um, and, you know, it gets more complicated when we actually start having uh, denominations of money in coins. But w- here we're, we're not yet there. There are already, we're in more of a barter economy, if you will, um, even if some items in circulation probably take the, f- take the form of what the coin will take. 
um, jewelry is w- one of these items of of circulation of economies where it, it's a, it's a it's not just um, it's it's its own economy because it economizes um, carrying capacity of of transportation capacity that jewelry is easy to both hide and store and transport um, in terms of material wealth, in terms of an accumulation of, of stock. Okay. Sure. Thanks for joining us for Theory Talk, a critical thinking jam session. If you enjoy the show, we invite you to follow us and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. Please connect with us on Twitter at theory underscore talk. Be safe out there. Have a good week.